got your Bible with you tonight, be opening up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, that is where we will start our study, and then we'll be jumping over into Acts chapter 9 shortly after that. But we'll start there in Philippians chapter 2. If you've got your New Testaments, be opening up there. Thank you so much for having me uh, this week. I was excited when I got the call asking if we could move up the gospel meeting from uh, 2024, I think it was, uh, up to just a couple months down the road. I was excited about that. I love coming and, and being with the church here. I don't have to tell you guys, you're a special group. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be here with you all. It's good to see how much this church has grown over the years. It's good to see Harold and Beverly. We didn't get to visit as much as we wanted to, but we're going to fix that uh, just as soon as Miss Bev comes through these treatments just fine. And uh, always a blessing to be with Reagan and Stephanie. Our, our family thinks a whole lot of them, and our opportunities to visit with them are always something that we treasure. And uh, one of these times... One of y'all is going to have to tip me off when Reagan and Stephanie are coming to San Antonio because Reagan and Larry both don't let me know when they're coming to San Antonio so that I won't ask one of them to preach. So the next time y'all know that they're coming, somebody tip me off, and we're going to twist Reagan or Larry's arms, one of them to come preach for us. But uh, so good to visit with so many of you, so nice. I'll, I'll, I'll say thank you to my AV booth. Back there, folks that have never set up or run the AV booth don't have any clue how difficult that is, and I appreciate you guys and the good work that, that you do. Josh, it's always a pleasure to visit with you and uh, have someone, uh, and, and Billy, you as well, who likes soccer. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blessing. Uh, you don't get that everywhere, so uh, we may be the only three in here, but I appreciate that. And I'll say one more thing, and then we'll get into, or two more things, and we'll get into study number one, is it sure is encouraging seeing how your kids have grown from uh, 2013, Jan, I think you and I were talking about that in that VBS when I was here, and remembering most of your kids as they were in middle school, and now some of them are married and going to college, and that doesn't seem right at all, but the young people that you all have raised and the younger ones that you have coming up, even if one of them said she was going to poison my food at lunch today, but that didn't happen. Uh, you've got an encouraging group of young people here. You've got an encouraging group of middle-aged folks, and you've got an encouraging group of older folks here. I'll let you determine which of those age groups you fall in. But uh, it's been a joy to be with you. And whoever put together the very nice basket and left it in our hotel room, that was exceptionally, exceptionally thoughtful and kind. We appreciate that, and I've been chewing that gum all week, and i still got some pieces to go. So thank you very much. You there with me in Philippians chapter 2? We're going to talk this evening about one other portrait of servanthood that we see throughout Scripture, and that is the story of Dorcas, which is going to be over there in Acts chapter 9, where we're going to be in just a few moments. But I want us to start our study here in Philippians chapter 2 as we simply establish for ourselves the absolute importance of service and being servants. We're called to this role of servanthood in no greater way than seeing the life of our Savior. If there's no other reason we ought to be servants, it's because that's what Jesus was. 
And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're going to have to be servants in our own lives as well. As he is encouraging the church at Philippi to be thoughtful and concerned for each other, looking out for the best interests of others, Paul calls as an example Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's our point. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form, and here's our focus tonight, taking the form of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. There's a lot there in Philippians chapter 2. We're not going to touch most of it. But the fact that we are to possess the mind of Christ and that possessing the mind of Christ is going to impact how we interact with each other and impact how we interact with each other in a positive way is something we take away from Philippians chapter 2. And the specific mind of Christ that we are supposed to have in order to help us better relate with one another, to build up a body, is this mindset of a servant. That's the form that Jesus took. And that is the mind and the attitude which we are to have today. So with that being established, let's look at Acts chapter 9 and let's look at this story of this minor biblical character by the name of Dorcas. In the book of Acts, we we start in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is raised from the dead. He is going to ascend back to the Father there in Acts chapter 1. He tells his disciples, and this matches up with the very end of Luke's gospel account, uh, to wait there in Jerusalem until they receive the promise of the Father. Wait there in Jerusalem until they are endued with power from on high. That, of course, is going to happen in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, you've got the cloven tongues of fire above their heads, and they begin to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Peter's going to stand up in Acts chapter 2 and deliver the the, the gospel message uh, at that time in its fullness, that now salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ is an actual reality. Of course, it culminated there. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. They who heard his message were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Of course, the divine response was repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. We start then, moving on in Acts chapter 3, the church is growing, the apostles are staying there in the area of Jerusalem, they are preaching the gospel, and as we move into Acts 3 and Acts 4 and Acts 5, we've got persecution coming to the church, right? They're standing for the faith, they're teaching the truth, but they're being persecuted. The disciples are being imprisoned, Uh, the apostles are being beaten, but they're refusing to stop teaching the message of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Acts chapter 6, we've got some issues in the early church. There are some grumblings about some widows who were being neglected. Uh, The church comes together. Uh, They appoint seven men to serve, I guess we might call it proto-deacons, men who are basically going to do the work of service and taking care of, of these marginalized church members. 
We move into Acts chapter 7. We've got Stephen giving his great defense. Of course, we know the end of that story, don't we? He loses his life. And a persecution in Acts chapter 8 begins against Christians in earnest. But we take heart in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 when we're told that those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. But there were some things that Satan could not stop through this persecution, and one of them was the spread of the gospel. And coming then through Acts chapter 8 and into Acts chapter 9, perhaps we remember Acts chapter 9 better for uh, Saul's conversion, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. But at the very end of Acts chapter 9, here's this story of Dorcas. Paul has become a Christian already by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, starting here in in verse 36. Paul is already a Christian. He uh, has experienced what he did on the road to Damascus, gone into the city, preached to by Ananias and responded to the gospel, having his sins uh, washed away in baptism. It seems that perhaps for a moment following uh, Paul's conversion, the persecution has subsided a bit. It's going to ramp back up, but perhaps for the moment, it seems to have calmed. Verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. But as Peter is going through the area teaching and preaching the gospel, he is confronted by some disciples from Joppa. And they bring to him a message about one of their dear sisters who has died. Let's start here and read in verse, beginning in verse 36 and just take it through the end of the chapter just so we can get the entirety of the story before us. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated in Greek called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died, and when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them, and when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. And of course, that's going to set the stage then for Acts chapter 10, and the conversion of Cornelius and his household, and the gospel now going to Gentiles as well as Jews. All of this biblical narrative tied in uh, so tightly. But we want to talk for a few moments tonight about Dorcas and particularly about the service that she engaged in. But to do that, we need to get a little bit of cultural context to Acts chapter 9. Uh, we, we've got our biblical context. Let's get a little cultural context. Uh, I don't think it's any shock uh, that we're to say that compared to us, the, the people in first century Palestine at this time had remarkably fewer clothes, right? 
we go into our closets today and how many choices do we have, right? It's astounding. It's an embarrassment of riches sometimes, isn't it? As you look at what first century society would have been like here, White in his standard book, Manners and Customs of Bible Land, says as a rule, the Jews of Jesus' day had at least a change of apparel. A man would be considered poor to have only one garment. So most people had at least a change of clothing. Not much more than that, but at least a change of clothing. Uh, John the Baptist, do you remember his teaching there in Luke chapter 3 and verse 11? He who has two tunics is to share with him who had none, right? Very common that there would be some people who would have more than one, and equally common that there would be somebody who was lacking. That doesn't mean that they were running around nude, but they didn't have this outer garment that would serve to especially keep one warm in the wind and in the, in the cold. And so you would share what you had, if you had it. You remember Jesus uh, over in Matthew chapter 10 when he sends out the apostles, he tells them amongst other things, carry with you one tunic per person. Not necessarily confining them to a life of poverty or anything like that. I think it's more practical. You're not lugging around a lot of luggage from from place to place. But that that wouldn't have, have seemed out of place in that society. But all that simply to say clothing, just like in our society today, was something that was essential. But it was something that folks didn't have as much of as we tend to have today. Which is going to add impact then to this story when we see Dorcas doing what? Well, she's over here making clothes for people. Let's talk about Dorcas and how she demonstrated herself to be God's servant. Think about the different qualities we see on display in this godly woman. We, we, we see the, the quality of compassion, right? Who is she serving? I, I know, and, and please don't get me wrong, I, I know we talk about making sure that the widows in, in our society are taken care of, and gracious knows that needs to happen. So don't take anything that I'm saying to take away from that. But there's a vast difference between how our society looks at widows today and how they're cared for and the existence that widows had in the first century, even back in the, the area of Palestine. It, it was a difficult existence, and they were often the target the schemes of people who were looking to take advantage of them, right? Look, look with me very briefly at Luke chapter 20. Look at Luke chapter 20 and verse 45. How many of us who either have parents who are older or who may be older I've gotten the call about extending your, your car's warranty, right? Have you, have you had that call? Yeah, right? And what, what do we recognize about that? What is it? As young people, we have to talk to our parents, have to talk to our grandparents. We have to remind them this is a what? 
This is a scam. They're just out to take your money. Uh, when, when, when Gregory calls from Microsoft and says there's a virus we've detected on your computer, but we can get it off there for you if you just give us your credit card number and the name of your first pet and your blood type and your social security number. Grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, it's a scam. Because people prey on whom? They prey on the, the vulnerable. That's not something new to our society. That's not something that people dreamed up here in the 21st century. Look at what was happening here in the book of Luke, here in the first century, amongst a group of people who knew better. Luke chapter 20, look over here in verse 45. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour the widow's house. And for appearance's sake, make long prayers. These will receive the greater condemnation. To a group of people who was marginalized and who was often the victim. That is the group towards whom Dorcas turned her abilities and her compassion. I would submit to you she had a heart like God in this. This is what we see all throughout Scripture, right? We've got a number of Scriptures up there. Let's look at the Old Testament passage. Look at Exodus chapter 22. James is going to tell us to, to look after the widows and the fatherless, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We've talked about Acts chapter 6 and the early church looking out for the widows. But look at Exodus 22. This is a principle that reaches as far back as God's revelation. Exodus chapter 22, look over here beginning in verse 21. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. This is Moses giving the law here. You shall not afflict any widow. You shall not afflict any orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives will become widows, and your children will become fatherless. That's some stout language coming from God, isn't it? And it's language that serves to emphasize what? How God's people throughout the ages have been called upon to look after and to care for those who are most marginalized. The stranger, the orphan, and the widow. Here's Dorcas exercising the heart of God. She's caring for the widow. They are the objects of her compassion. Hey, real talk, right? I can't help everybody. I want to. I want to help everybody. I'm sure you want to help everybody too. We can't. That's not an excuse then to do nothing. Or to sit back wishy-washy and try to figure out who we're going to help and in the end we don't end up being as helpful as we could be. Sometimes it's going to take me saying, okay, there are a lot of people that need my help, but I'm going to prioritize Group X. Not because they're more holy, not because it's going to make me more holy. Because I've just got to be strategic about this. There are a lot of people needed Dorcas help. She's not condemned by God for anything here. She's not condemned because she didn't make clothes for the orphan. She's not condemned because she didn't make clothes for the stranger. 
Oh, she found her area of service. And she excelled there. She demonstrated the heart of God with her compassion. You also see in Dorcas this quality of industriousness. Right, look, at, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This, this too is a quality that is impressed upon us in Scripture, something that we ought to pursue in our own lives. And it can manifest itself in a variety of ways. But listen to how Paul would describe it to the Thessalonians who apparently were struggling with how they were managing themselves and, and working in lieu of what seems to be a misunderstanding about when Jesus was going to return. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and in verse 11, Paul says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any I decided to do a deep dive and, and, and see, see, see what the statistics are out there about becoming proficient in a skill. My aunt's not here tonight. Uh, she would laugh if I told this story. When I moved to Nacogdoches in 2003, I lived with my aunt and uncle for a couple of years while going to school before I got a house with four other guys, and that's a completely different story that probably is not suitable for mixed company. You can ask me about it sometime and we'll tell you. But my aunt was a school teacher. She made the mistake of asking me to come up to school and help her set up her bulletin board for school starting. My wife is already smirking at this story. I do not have an artistic bone in my body. I can't draw a circle. I can't draw a straight line. Taking bulletin board and stretching it out and stapling it at just the right point and making it look presentable is not my talent. And my aunt quickly learned that. And she was gracious in it. And she went back and fixed it, and I was never invited to help with the bulletin board again. I don't have that skill. Perhaps because I haven't worked to develop that skill, but I just simply don't have that skill. According to research, it takes about 20 hours to become basically proficient in a task. It takes about 8,000 hours to become good at a skill. You break that down and say you, you practice a skill for four hours a day. That's 2,000 days it takes to become good. That's five and a half years. I say that simply to kind of put it into perspective for us. If I thought doing bulletin boards is something that needed my attention, and that really needed me to get after. I could start putting in the time and the practice to do it. But understanding it's going to take a while to get there. If we're trying to develop and cultivate a talent like Dorcas had, Dorcas didn't get this talent overnight. And so if you're trying to be like Dorcas, which we all ought to be, and you're trying to find your way to serve. 
don't be upset when your funeral chicken doesn't turn out the right way the first time. Don't be surprised if that article of clothing you're trying to sew and cut and size doesn't turn out right the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time. It takes time to become good at these things. But look at the effort that Dorcas had put into this over the years. And look, look at the result. Back there in Acts chapter 9, what's happening? She dies. They've laid her body up there. But her body is surrounded by the widows who were just weeping. They are seemingly inconsolable. And what they've got in their arms are the tunics and the garments that she made. They were proud of these things. These meant something to them. It was because somebody had dedicated herself to industriousness and to cultivating a talent. Find out what your talent might be. Hey, you might be the best bulletin board maker out there. And if you are, get to work on it. Go and do it. There's a need for that. Walk into your, your foyer here. I'm sure you recognize how welcoming of an environment that is. Because people had talent and went to work using their talent. Your talent may be forward-facing like that. Maybe you're somebody who can design the, the slides and the graphics and the welcome screens and things like that. Your talent may be nothing like that. Your talent may be maybe running Ethernet cord through the building, terminating it yourself. Your talent might be picking up the trash from the classrooms and hauling it to the trash can and setting it out every time. Your talent might be just picking up people. Find your talent and use it. Get good at it. Compassion, industriousness, and selflessness. You know what I don't read about here? I don't read about Dorcas charging these widows anything. And knowing what we do about widows in the first century, it doesn't seem like they would have the money to be able to purchase these things. Every indication we get in the text is what? Dorcas is doing this out of her own pocket. Did Dorcas come up with that money all on her own? I don't know. I don't see a reference, if we can call him this, to Mr. Dorcas, to you. What if she was all alone herself too? You think there might have been somebody in back there who might have been helping out Dorcas by giving her the money to do the work that she could do? I don't know. Is it a possibility though? That's certainly part of the scriptural pattern we'll see throughout the Bible. But what she gave, possibly her finances, what she gave her energy, she gave her time. The quote is unattributed. One person has said the greatest gift you can give somebody is your time. Because when you give your time, you're giving a portion of your life that you will never get back. How many of us have been blessed because somebody gave us their time? 
Whatever I am as a preacher is because of the people who were so patient with me and taught me and helped me. And I don't just mean the folks at Stallings Drive who used to listen to me when I preached for 45 minutes and had an eight-page outline. I shudder to think about those days. But I'm talking about going all the way back to those little kid Bible classes I had with Miss Carolyn and Miss Ann. I'm not so young, I don't remember the film strip Bible classes. Y'all remember those? I remember learning about Paul's missionary journeys on that film strip. What are you giving to people? I may not be able to give money. I may not be able to cut a straight line and sew an article of clothing that anybody in their right mind would want to wear out in public. But I can prioritize and I can make time for somebody. And that's something I can do. And that's a way I can serve. Leo Christopher said the only thing more precious than our time is what we spend it on. That's how we find out what's really important in our lives, isn't it? what we spend our time on. A lot of you have been here this whole week. You have put up with me. That says something about you. It says something about your dedication to the gospel, how much you esteem and appreciate the Lord. That says something about you. And I know you're not in it just, just to get that sort of acclaim, but it reveals something, doesn't it? Where we choose to spend our time and our energy says something about us. So I want to make four points as we wrap up here tonight. How can we serve like Dorcas? First thing is this. I can serve like Dorcas when I use the gifts that I have been given to help others. That should say use the gifts I have been given to help others. Use the gifts you've been given to help others. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I know it's not the same context in 2 Corinthians 8. In 2 Corinthians 8, we're dealing with a church who had failed to follow through with what they had promised to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul told the church at Corinth, lay aside on the first day of the week as you have prospered. The funds that you have collected and set aside, when I come, I'll carry them over to Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians comes around, what had happened? They hadn't followed through with what they said they were going to do. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul is trying to stir them up. You promised to do this a year ago. Let's get after it, guys. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 11. Look at this principle with me. Paul says to them, but now finish doing it also so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. It is good, he says to the Corinthians, that you wanted to help in this matter. But simply wanting to and thinking about it and desiring it isn't enough. It is great to think good things. It is better to do good things. They needed to move from thinking to doing. Keep reading then, verse 12. For if the readiness is present, the desire is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has and not according to what he does not have. That is, maybe some in Corinth were upset because they were not able to give as much as they wanted to, and that discouraged them. 
false point is, look, it doesn't matter what you have to give. It doesn't matter the amount. If you're desirous to engage in this good work, then go about and do it. God's not going to hold us in judgment if we're not able to do something that we're just simply not able to do. But the Corinthians were able to do something, and what they were able to do, that's what Paul was calling them to do. It is acceptable according to what one has and not according to what God, uh, what one does not have. Verse 13, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. Whatever gift I have, this is the principle. Take that gift and use it. Someone may be better than me. I can think of a whole lot of preachers who are better than me. I think of a whole lot of brothers who are a lot better prayers than I am. Does that mean I stop? Does that mean I quit? Does that mean I give up? Nope. Use the gift you got and use it to help other people. Sometimes those gifts come to us naturally. Shock of all shocks, I've always been a talker. First day of kindergarten, first day of kindergarten, my daughter did so much better in her first day of kindergarten than I did. I got my name on the board and three checks beside it. It was check marks. I thought check marks were good, right? Check marks were bad. I was one check mark away from going to the principal's office. First day of school. Teacher came up to my mom, said, your son's either going to be a lawyer or he's going to be a preacher, maybe a televangelist. That kind of came true, right? Sometimes our gifts are more natural. Sometimes our gifts are developed. Whatever it is, got to use my gift in the service of others, and that's how I'm like Dorothy. That's how I serve like Jesus. We need to be consistent in doing good. Flip back there to Acts chapter 9. Was this all just a one-time endeavor for Dorcas? Of course it wasn't. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. You know what's hard about abounding in kindness continually? That can get discouraging, can't it? When you do good continually to someone or for some cause and you don't see the results in the time frame that you expect to see them. I get it. That is frustrating and aggravating and if I had hair on my head to pull, it'd make me want to pull it out. You've felt that too before, haven't you? That doesn't mean we stop. This is why over and over again in God's word, he encourages us, don't grow weary in what? In doing good. This wasn't a one-time endeavor for Dorcas. This is what her life looked like. And we need to have that same kind of attitude that Dorcas did. Being consistent in doing good, not growing weary. Doing good. Think about this with me as well. 
I'm going to serve like Dorcas. I'm going to live a life worthy of mourning. You got two types of funerals you go to. When people are crying because they wish they had more time, and people who are crying because of the time that they had. And those of you who have been to both of those kinds of funerals, you know how different that mourning sounds. There's a piercing sadness and frustration to one of those. Wishing there was more time to fix things that were wrong. But then there's that other kind of mourning, mourning because of who this person was, what they meant, and the influence and the impact that they had. Not sorry that they're gone because it's better for them that they're gone, but sorry for us. Who remembers the woman who clothed the widow? How many folks do you reckon in your life, in the church you've come across, who did just exactly what Dorcas did? I said this in San Antonio a couple of months ago. And as soon as I tell you the story, you'll understand the significance. And I, I called out the name of, a, of, a, of an old widow lady there at the church in Conway that I just absolutely loved and adored. He, she's no longer with us. I had somebody come up to me that morning and said, are you talking about so-and-so? I said, how in the world do you know her? I said, we used to live right down the road from her, and she went to church with us years ago. Every church has a lady like this, I, I reckon. Her name was Weta Cavender. She was a member there at Highway 65. Miss Weta was the dumb lady. Every church has one, right? I don't know how long some of those sticks of juicy fruit had been in their purse. They were kind of crunchy. But every service there was Miss Weta. Miss Weta, who had raised all of her kids on her own because her husband up and left her. She'd been a widow the rest of her life. I mean, in all practical purposes, a widow. You would go over to, uh, you would drive by Miss Weta's house. It was, it was apparent Miss Weta didn't have a whole lot of money. She took care of what she had. But she wasn't physically wealthy, at least not what the world would call physically wealthy. What did Miss Weta do? Miss Weta had gum. And she had a smile. And she had a greeting. Just about every birthday you had, you got a card from Miss Weta. Who remembers who clothed the widows? The widows. To the people who receive that kindness and that service, they don't forget. I got some of those cards still in my little treasure box. Just those little acts of service. You never know what good you're going to do. 
You never know what kind of light you're going to shine. You never know what influence you're going to have. We live a life worthy of mourners, not because we want people at our funerals, but because that says something about the kind of impact we had on the lives of the people that are around us. Who are the people that we mourn for in this way? I'll tell you exactly who it is. People we had a relationship with. There are a bunch of names in the obituary in the paper today. bunch of them, I don't have any clue who they are. I'm sorry for their families that they lost them. I don't know them, and I don't mourn for them in that way. I just didn't know them. When I lose somebody that I know, when you lose somebody that you know, we mourn, don't we? Because of that relationship that was there. That's how we live lives worthy of mourners. We build relationships. That's exactly what Dorcas had done here. She saw people who needed to be served, and she served. And she served in the way that she knew she we live lives worthy of mourners, and finally, we're going to serve like Dorcas. We're going to be a vessel of God's love and grace. Look there at Acts chapter 9 as we wrap it up there in verse 39. What did the disciples do when she died? Went to the apostles. Went to Peter. This was a woman who was worthy of whatever request they were going to make. They knew who she was. That is, the brethren did. They knew the kind of woman she was. And what a benefit she was to the kingdom. What a blessing she was to other people. And Peter arose and went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and the garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Peter sent them all out, knelt down and prayed and turned to the body. He said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened up her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa and what? I'm going to submit to you that's what she would be most proud of. Many believed in the Lord. It wasn't just about clothing people, was it? That's good, and that's encouraging, and that's a wonderful act to engage in, but for Dorcas, that isn't simply what it was about, was it? It was using that clothing and using that attitude and using that mindset, using that service to show the people around her who God really was what God could accomplish. The goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. We're going to be like Dorcas. We need to be about doing good. But in our doing good, we need to remember what the entire point of it is. It's not to get the acclaim. It's not to get the mourners at our funeral. But it's to point to God. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you look at your life tonight and you haven't been serving like Dorcas, if you haven't been serving like Jesus, what better opportunity than right now to make a change? There are people around this world, there are people in this community Need your help.
better time to make that change in your life than right now. Maybe it is you've never come to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never experienced God's love and God's grace in that way. That's why Jesus came and died. That's why that entire first half of the book of Acts that we looked at, that's why people were coming to Jesus. Because of the grace and the forgiveness that was offered through his son. If you haven't experienced that, we want you to find that salvation that is available through the Son of God, through the blood that he shed. We can help you respond to the gospel in any way tonight. Would you come while we stand? While we sing. Let me someday come back.